And you can see today's subject matter is victory over anger. I tried to come up with something to make me mad before I preached. I thought it would be more effective, but I haven't been able to so far. But uh, today I want to talk with you uh, about this whole matter of anger. Uh, and the Bible has a lot to say about this subject of anger. It has plenty of examples of anger, and it has stories of the effects of anger. I think we would all agree that we are living in a world that is filled with anger. Would you agree with that? We see anger just about every day. We see it particularly right now in much of the circumstances going on around the globe, including our own nation. Raymond Novako, a psychology professor at UC Irvine, put it this way. He said, we're living, in effect, in a big anger incubator. And according to psychiatrist Joshua Morgenstein, <clears throat> the country is now dealing with three disasters superimposed on top of one another. He writes, the pandemic, the economic fallout, and the civil unrest are all uh, instruments that have created tension and stress and anger. And certainly, he says, one of the ways of responding and a common way of responding is through anger. Surveys over the past few years have suggested that anger has risen in the country even before the crises that we are currently and have been experiencing for the last uh, couple of years. A Gallup poll that was conducted in 2018, for example, concluded that Americans on the stress and worry and anger level have intensified from uh, the previous years. In fact, 22% of Americans, uh, according to that survey, when it was taken, felt greater anger than they did on the same day the previous year. So it's been said that we're living in this angry age. Did you know that, that the average man, we're told, loses his temper six times a week? And the average woman only loses her temper three times a week. Women, you can use that to your advantage. But... Um, well, women tend to get, when they get angry, they tend to get angry uh, more often uh, at people, we're told. But men get angry at things, you know, when machines break and circumstances and situations. And you're more likely, we're told, to express anger at home than anywhere else. Martha C. Nussbaum, in an article on anger, says that there's no emotion that we ought to think harder and more clearly about than anger. And she goes on to say that if we think closely about anger, we can begin to see why it is a stupid way to run one's life. Well, in essence, that's what the Scripture teaches. And if you're going to be a victorious Christian, you're going to have to learn to deal with anger. If you're physically able to do so, would you stand with me this morning as we read our text from the book of Ephesians, Chapter 4, verse 25 and following. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief still, uh, no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such, is, uh, such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, Lord, would you open our hearts to your truth? Would you speak to us? Father, would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you cause us to listen with spiritual ears? And then, Father, I pray that we would respond with our hearts in obedience to whatever you shall say to us. For we pray and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. Now, I want you to note something, verse 25, how Paul begins this particular section of Scripture with the conjunction, therefore. The therefore links what Paul has been saying in the verses which he has just previously spoken. In fact, I preached on those verses in this series where he talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man. And this uh, particular section, uh, he is continuing that idea. And that's why he says, therefore, in other words, based on what I've just been telling you, about the spiritual wardrobe you should wear. He says, I've got some things I want to add to that. And in this particular case, he mentions anger on three different uh, occasions. And while his message is to the entire family of God, his emphasis is on this matter of anger that so many people battle with. And verse 26 is the second of actually four Um, uh, vices that he deals with, but it is different from the other three, and I think you'll see that as we talk about this whole matter of having victory over anger. So let's look at these three things. The first thing that I would have you note in verse 26 is the interpretation of anger. The interpretation of anger. The statement, be angry and do not sin, tells us that anger, listen, is both acceptable and dangerous. Now, hang on. You say it is acceptable. It is if it is appropriate, and you'll see that in just a moment. Now, Paul is not saying that a victorious Christian never gets angry. That's not what he's saying here, and he's not saying that there's never a time in which the believer uh, uh, should not be angry. He says there are times. In fact, it's interesting to note that anger is, is a different idea expressed than these other vices, as I said. The difference is that Paul understands that there is a legitimate kind of anger uh, that is proper and is essential in the right time uh, if it has a righteous foundation. But we have to be careful with anger. It's too easy for us to excuse our anger by simply calling it righteous indignation. And we must not fool ourselves into thinking, well, when I get angry, it's just righteous indignation. When somebody else gets uh, angry, it's sin. In fact, Jesus warned us about being angry in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. He said uh, and compared anger with murder. That's pretty serious, wouldn't you agree? And so that's why we need to interpret anger properly. Now, the tense of the word anger in the Greek in this passage should be interpreted as an anger that does not characterize the life of a believer. This is something that occurs, but it is not a characteristic. And if your life is characterized by a lot of inappropriate anger, then something is out of balance spiritually. 
And so we need to interpret what is appropriate anger and what is inappropriate anger. So what is appropriate anger? Well, appropriate anger is based in righteousness. That is, its perspective is God-focused, and it is based on God's law and God's Word. Let me give you some biblical examples. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Nehemiah is engaged in this God-given mission to rebuild the wall around the city of Jerusalem. And it is a miraculous story, but it wasn't without adversity, and it wasn't without conflict. And there is occasion in chapter 5 where um, the, the people that are working the project, God's own people, start taking advantage of each other. And there are some who had uh, more resources than others, and they were charged, they were lending money to some of their fellow uh, Israelites, and then they were exacting a high uh, they were loan sharking, let me just say it that way. And uh, Nehemiah finds out about that, what's going on, and he knows what they're engaged in is a God thing, and, and consequently, everybody needs to be unified in the process. And so listen to what he says in verse 6 and 7. He said, I became extremely angry when I heard their outcry and these complaints. The people began to, to uh, uh, call, cry out about it, and they began to complain. And after seriously considering the matter, I accused the nobles and the officials, saying to them, each of you is charging his countrymen interest. But did you notice that he became very angry? It was a righteous kind of anger. It was an appropriate kind of anger. It is righteous, and it is appropriate, and it was useful in bringing about change and needed correction. Righteous anger doesn't just get angry for the sake of being angry. It gets angry in order to address something and make a change about something. Let me give you some examples about things that probably should create a kind of righteous indignation. I'm not sure it has uh, in this nation, and I think we're going to continue to pay a price for it. One would be the continued disregard for human life through things like abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, assisted suicide, those kinds of things, that should produce a righteous indignation. The Bible is full of scriptures that support that. I don't have time to get into all of that, but that is something that should create a legitimate and appropriate kind of anger in the people of God. The second would be the complete rejection of a cultural Judeo-Christian ethic. That should create some sense of anger that we no longer operate by a biblical world view. All right? And haven't for a long time. The third would be something like willful acceptance of moral subjectivism. You know, if you look around today, uh, we are living in the age of the judges when the Bible says, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's what's become a characteristic of the age we're living in. We can't even define uh, biology anymore. And uh, consequently, uh, we're living in an age of moral relativism and subjectivism, and it's you believe what you want, and you live how you want, and you do what you want. I set my own rules. There are no boundaries except the boundaries I determine. And if your boundaries intersect my boundaries, then you're wrong. And that's the age. That should create some kind of righteous anger, uh, a holy anger, not a hostile anger, but a holy anger. Do you understand the difference? And let me give you an example of the difference. Have you, through, through the years, we've seen Islam respond 
to, for example, cartoons. You remember a couple of occasions where they didn't like some cartoons, and I'm not suggesting they have to like the cartoons. That's not what I'm saying. But what was their response? Their response was hostility. They killed people. That it wasn't a, a holy response from their holy perspective. It was a hostile response. That's the difference. You see, righteous anger is productive. It's not destructive. It doesn't lead to sin against God or other people, regardless of who's expressing it. That's appropriate anger. All right? You get that? So what is inappropriate anger? Uh, inappropriate anger, I would argue, is probably the most commonly expressed kind of anger, but it is mostly self-centered. It's anger based on personal expectations so oftentimes. You know, uh, I'm angry because I deserve better than I got. Or I'm angry because the, the people, they don't know what I've done for them. Or I'm angry uh, and because I'm not getting the respect that I deserve. And so it goes. It's a self-centered uh, kind of anger, generally speaking. Do we see it in the Bible? Yes, we do. For example, we see it when Jonah became angry, when God didn't do what Jonah wanted him to do. Jonah wanted God to wipe Nineveh out, and Nineveh said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to preach the gospel to them, and you're going to preach the gospel to them. And Jonah, the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 1, uh, the Bible says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. That's an inappropriate kind of anger, and God had to teach him some lessons about that. Or then you can go to the book of 1 Kings chapter 21, and verse 4 talks about uh, Ahab, King Ahab, and his anger, it says, so Ahab went to his palace resentful and angry because of what Naboth, the Jezreelite, had told him. He had said, I will not give you my ancestors' inheritance. And so Ahab lay down on his bed, turned his face away, and he didn't eat any food. He was angry and he pouted. Self-centered people often become angry people. And angry people will eventually become bitter people because life for them is always about getting their way. It's always about how unfairly they've been treated. Selfish people get angry at everything. They get angry at life. Uh, you know, life's not doing me right. As if life had a mind of its own and was directed against them. But they get angry at life. They get angry at God. God's not treating me fairly. By the way, I always praise God that he hasn't treated you fairly. God hasn't treated me fairly. God is, not, uh, uh, God is out to get me. Uh, they get angry at family. My family is not interested in me. They get angry at friends. My friends are not there for me. By the way, angry people don't have many deep friendships or lasting ones anyway. People don't want to be around angry people. And, uh, but they get mad at friends. They get mad at the church. You know, the church let us down. The church didn't do something. Uh, someone didn't speak to me or somebody said something that made me uh, uh, angry. And so they get, they get angry at the church. They get angry at coworkers. Why? My coworkers are, are undermining me or my coworkers are, aren't listening to me. So the next time you stew or the next time you get angry... Be sure to interpret what kind of anger you are experiencing. 
And I think part of our biggest problem is we forget to differentiate what kind of anger is really going on inside of me. You're going to get angry. The question is, what are you going to do about the anger? And Paul tells us to deal with it quickly. Uh, And by the way, deal with anger quickly, no matter uh, if it's appropriate anger or inappropriate anger. Why is that? Why should we deal with it quickly? Well, that leads to the second point I want you to see, and that is the exploitation of anger. Verse 27 says, and give no opportunity to the devil. That's why you need to deal with it quickly. Because the devil will take, you know, the devil will take even something that's righteous or righteous indignation, and he'll continue to use it until he turns it into an inappropriate kind of uh, anger and use that against you. And, And Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil. One day, Alexander the Great, in a fit of rage, he struck his favorite general, and he killed him. And uh, the general was his best friend. And after he had struck him and killed him, Alexander cried out, and this is what he said, I have conquered the world, but I can't even conquer my own soul. That's what anger does, you see. Anger will exploit you, and the devil will use it uh, to exploit you. And just as we looked at what the Bible says about appropriate and, uh, kind of anger and appropriate time to be angry, we cannot allow that to give us a license to get, you know, good and angry at things. Just whenever I feel like it, I'm going to be good and angry. That's a very dangerous thing. And Paul is warning us that if we allow anger whether it is righteous or self-centered, to linger that the devil can take it and exploit it, and guess what? He can control us and destroy us with it. You see, unchecked anger is an opportunity for the devil, listen, to set up a camp in your life, to gain a foothold over you. That's why he says give no opportunity or give no place to the devil. In other words, when you get angry, if you don't deal with it quickly, the devil will take advantage of it and he will set up a camp in your life and he'll destroy you with uh, anger. Anger will lead to bitterness. He knows how to use it against you. Norm Evans was an all-pro tackle for the Miami Dolphins for a number of years and he once confided this. He said, it's really dangerous for a pro football player to get angry. In fact, that's when the linemen sustain their most serious injuries. And here's, what he, here's how he explains that. He says, anger is so harmful in football. He said that I knew if I could get an opposing lineman or defensive end angry at me, he will concentrate on beating me and forget to attack the quarterback. And that's my job, protecting the quarterback. Did you get what he was saying? Mike Fuller, who was a, 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 a fast safety and punt return specialist for the San Diego Chargers back in the, the 70s, he said this. He said, the wide receivers are continually trying to make us, defensive backs, angry each time they come into our area because they know that if they can upset us and get us angry emotionally, that they can fool us on the next play. Bob Hutchins, a former judo champion for Southern California and a missionary in Mexico, said, and I quote, I was just an above-average judo performer until I learned how to make my opponent angry. I was just above average, but then I learned how to make my opponent angry, 
And that's when I won the championship. You see, the anger will exploit you, won't it? It will control you. And the devil wants to use your anger against you to defeat you and prevent you from living in victory. The devil will do that if he can. Lewis Smedes in Forgive and Forget says, healthy anger drives us to do something to change what makes us angry. Anger can energize us to make things better. Hate does not want to change things for the better. It wants to make things worse. So he says, anger can be useful if it produces change, constructive kind of change. But anger that's not dealt with will produce bitterness and hate and eventually uh, uh, destruction. So Paul is saying this, deal with your anger quickly so that the devil doesn't exploit it and rob you of peace and victory. Deal with it quickly. And then third, I want you to see this from verse 32, the refutation of anger. Uh, what, what is, how, how do we deal with, with anger? Well, I think Paul wraps this section up by telling us how to deal with anger. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And look, he says, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. The fact is, most anger is directed at other people. And so Paul's solution is treat people, treat believers, uh, in particular the family of God, with kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. And he says, just like Jesus did for you, you do to them. And you will be amazed, by the way, when you do that, if you'll practice those things, if you'll do that, you're angry at somebody. Listen, forgive them. You say, well, they don't deserve forgiveness. Neither did you. That's not even the point. The point is to get yourself free. Do you realize that if you hold on to your anger directed at somebody, that anger will not hurt them. It will destroy you. Because it, anger eventually uh, produces bitterness. And bitterness, let me tell you what bitterness is like. Bitterness is like taking po liquid poison and drinking it and expecting the other person to die. And by the way, when you are controlled by anger or anger at someone, you're not actually, uh, you're not actu they're not actually being wounded by your anger. You're the one that's being wounded. And you say, well, uh, still that, that doesn't mean they deserve it. It, it. Again, it's not about, that's why Paul adds the statement. Just like God forgave you in Christ Jesus, you didn't deserve it. We're saved by grace, not because we earned it or we deserved it. And that's what he's saying about uh, those around. Forgive. Be kind, be kind and tenderhearted toward those. Those who deserve it, listen, and those who do not deserve it. That's what he tells us to do. Now, maybe, just maybe, <clears throat> this is the part of the sermon you've really been waiting on, the conclusion, right? Because you don't believe I can actually finish this, this early, do you? But you've been waiting, really, I, I suspect. So give us the application. What, give us the, you know, the, how do we refute this? How do we respond? You know, we live in a world... Uh, full of steps, don't we? You know, 10 steps to a better life, five principles for success, seven keys to, to better health. And nothing is wrong with having steps to follow uh, and list 
I, I love those kinds of things. But Paul, in this passage, Paul doesn't go into great detail about how to refute anger in our lives. He really doesn't go in. Really, verse 32 is the, the most, if you want to say, detailed response to anger. He doesn't go into a lot of detail about how to refute anger in our life. He doesn't give us 17 steps to overcome anger. You know what he does? He just tells us to do it. <laughs> he just said, go back uh, to uh, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not... Do not um, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's what he says. That's his, his uh, solution. And be kind and, and uh, caring and tenderhearted and forgiving. He just tells us to do it. And I think that's because that Paul knew that dealing with anger isn't that complicated. He, so he says, just don't be angry. No explanation needed. Just don't be angry. You don't need 17 steps just to deal with it. Uh, you, you don't have to, to go through this lengthy process. All you have to do is put on Jesus. Remember the therefore is linked to the previous things where he talks about putting on Jesus and putting off some other things. That's what he's saying. Be linked to Jesus. Put on the right stuff uh, put Jesus on instead of being angry, and then express Jesus through tenderness and forgiveness. It's not rocket science. In other words, replace anger, here it is, by acting like Jesus. There it is. He says, so don't be angry. Act like Jesus. I don't have to give you all these steps just act like Jesus. If you need to forgive, forgive. Be kind to one another. By the way, Paul dealt with this in another place, and he said, in so doing, it's like heaping hot coals of fire upon their head. Stop worrying about the person that you're angry at getting it. Stop worrying about it. Listen, because there's a good chance they won't. And secondly, they don't care that you're angry. And third, your anger expressed to them means that they're still controlling you. Because you're angry at them, they don't care. They're, so forgive them. Say, hey, I forgive them. God, I forgive them. There are people listening to this by live stream, television, listening on radio in this live audience, and there's some people that you just need to forgive. You need to quit worrying about them getting it. And this is about you. This is about you getting free so that you can live in victory. It's not about getting even. It's not about them actually saying, oh, you know. Now, it may happen, but that's not what it's about. Forgiveness begins with you, and it's for you. So you have to listen. Very important, because I've had people say, well, what they did to me, I don't think I can ever get over. Forgiveness is not always an event. It's a process sometimes. And so you forgive them today and you get up tomorrow and the wounds are still there. You may have to forgive them again tomorrow. And you may have to do it and do it and keep doing it and keep doing it until it becomes reality. But I want to tell you something. If you will do that, you'll get down the road one day and you'll say, that doesn't bother me anymore because I have, I have forgiven, I have forgiven, I have forgiven, I have forgiven. I wish I had uh, 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 time to tell you a couple lengthy stories. I'm not going to do it about... Uh, how I had to learn that in my own life, how to forgive, not because a person deserved it, but because I needed to be free.
because I wanted to walk in victory. And so you and I have to understand that, that Jesus, uh, that Paul just says, look, forgive, don't be angry, be like Jesus. Replace anger by acting like Jesus. And he says the way you do that is by loving those who forgive, uh, those who need forgiveness, and uh, especially of the family of God. And then neither they or the devil can control you emotionally. Um, I read, again, an account I was thinking about as I was working on this message this week, and it occurred between a husband and a wife. And the man reporting the story said that he had served as a nurse in the operating room for his local hospital for several years. And he said one day a couple arrived and both had gunshot wounds. And here's what had happened. He later um, was told that, that the man had a gunshot wound because he had awakened late, or the woman had a gunshot wound because he had awakened late for his first day on a new job. And because his wife did not set the alarm clock, he became angry and he expressed his displeasure by shooting her in the arm. Well, not to be outdone, she retreated to another room and got a shotgun, came back and shot him in the arm. And this nurse said as he was gathering the paperwork in the preoperative unit, he said, I heard something <laughs> that one would only expect to hear in a country western song. He said, they're on two gurneys separated by a deputy sheriff and handcuffed to their respective gurneys. The husband began and said, I love you, baby, and I'm sorry I shot you. <laughs> to which the wife responded, I love you too, baby, and I'm sorry I shot you. Well, we don't know how the rest of the story turned out, but anger made them both do things that they regretted, and anger will make you do something that will make a fool out of you. And maybe, just maybe, <clears throat> it will cause you to produce a country song. <laughs> now, you know, if anybody ever had the right to be angry, who was it, class? It was Jesus. By the way, God gets angry. Did you know that? I had a man tell me one time, he came up to me and he said, Pastor, he said, you mentioned God getting angry. And I, he said, you know, God doesn't get angry. Well, what he told me is he didn't know his Bible. And I said, you need to go back, just look up the word anger and angry in a concordance and see how many times the Bible says, and God was angry. Now, when God is angry, it's always righteous anger. And as a footnote, people, can you imagine that God's not angry right now? And how long will his patience withhold? But there is that appropriate kind of anger. But if anybody had a right to be angry, it was Jesus, right? In the, the garden, you know, he prayed that the Lord would take that away and take his 
cross away, and, but then he said, I submit to your will. And he could have gotten angry there, but he didn't. He could have, he could have gotten angry when they came and literally shackled him and took him away. He could have gotten angry. He could have gotten angry when those soldiers beat him within an inch of his life. He could have gotten angry when they gambled for his robe. He could have gotten angry when they pressed that uh, crown of thorns into his head. He could have gotten angry, and because of who he was, he would have been right to be angry. He could have gotten angry and said, you know, I, can, I don't have to do this if I don't want to do this. I can call down a legion of angels to take care of this. He could have said, I'll take care of that. Peter got angry, didn't he? He sliced the ear off of one of the centurions. He got angry. He fought back, but not Jesus. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, the prophet Isaiah said. Instead of getting angry, Jesus expressed love and compassion. Father, forgive them. They don't know, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus had a right if you want to talk about rights. And we live in a culture that always wants to talk about its rights. I have a right to this. And by the way, that's what's wrong with the culture today. It's a very self-centered, I have a right culture. And that's why you've got an angry culture. That's why you've got an angry uh, society today. That's why you've got an angry world. But Jesus shows us a different way. And that is not to allow anger to control us. And Paul tells us, you know what we should do? Express the right kind of anger, but never be controlled by any kind of anger. Instead, be like Jesus, who forgave those who didn't deserve forgiveness, who loved those who didn't deserve love. He came into his own John said, in his own, received him not. Rejected by his own, and yet he loved them. By the way, you say, yeah, how could they do that? That's us. We're in that group too. And so Paul says, you know how to live victoriously? Put on Jesus. Therefore, put on Jesus. Don't be angry. You know how to not be angry. You know how to not allow anger to control you. It is Jesus Christ on you. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you modeled everything for you. I mean, you modeled forgiveness. You, you modeled grace. You modeled love. You, you modeled restraint, Father. You modeled righteous indignation when you turned the tables uh, in the temple. Father, you showed us the right kind and the wrong kind. You addressed it, Father, so that we would know what it was and uh, how we would not have to be controlled by anger. Thank you, Father, for showing us and teaching us. And thank you for the Apostle Paul's words. Lord, help us to be people that walk in victory by putting on Jesus Christ. And I pray for any in this room this morning that have never trusted Christ as their Savior, that this would be the day that they literally put on Christ, receive Him as their Savior. Father, would you speak to us now in these moments of invitation, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation? I'll be here at the front, as always, and our staff are going to be on the aisles.
And I want to invite you to make your decision today. What, it, what would that decision be? Maybe you need to call on Christ to be your Savior. That is literally putting Christ on. Maybe, maybe you're here and you say, I've done that, but I need a church home. I need a church family, and I want to join Ridgecrest. I want to invite you to come and join us today. Maybe you're here and you say, I need to be baptized. I need to be baptized. We'll schedule a time for you. You do. If you've never been biblically baptized, biblically baptized, then you need to do that. That's an act of obedience. And I would invite you to come and say, I need to take care of that. You might want to come and pray around this altar. Uh, you may uh, want to come and just bend your knee. Pray for somebody. Pray about some matter. Pray about some decision. Whatever it may be, come and use it. Take advantage of it, all right? As the choir leads us, you slip out balcony or ground floor. You come right now, and you make your decision. your head close your eyes no one's looking about in this place people are praying maybe you need to come to the altar take advantage of this moment what decision do you need to make you slip out with heads bowed and eyes closed right now you come on